Hello, hello, and welcome to another podcast. To another episode of Wine. Another. This is another podcast. <laughs> to another episode. <laughs> to another episode of, of wine, wine from on the vine to the rotation. There we go. <laughs> Thank you very much. My words were all mixed up. I was like, I was like, we're really gonna do it this time because this is like our third start, <laughs> our second start. <laughs> it's not that different from the nighttime. We're doing it during the day. Yeah, we still it. sound all <laughs> discombobulated. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, hi well, everybody hope you've had a nice week and a great weekend day yeah yeah, yeah i think so <laughs> yeah this should should post sunday so yeah hopefully you guys are having a good a weekend and and um yeah we, we just went we just, for a walk we went for a walk yeah we had a, a late breakfast went for a nice little walk and and a pretty saturday here in the coachella valley it is it's, it's very beautiful beautiful time of the year here the the weather is it's like it's mid seventies, and we might get down to the forties at night. But other than that, it's I'd rather have it cold than hot. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> much better. Sure. The, as far as this week, things going on, just work and. How and was your work, Brian? My work was work. Busy? Yeah, I ended up getting carpal tunnel this week, and my hands. Yeah, they're. I'm not complaining about it. I have work, so I can't complain about it. But it just kind of messed you up this week. Yeah, your hands just they start to burn and everything, and you can't, you can't. It feels like you can't use them. But yeah, it shoots from the middle of my arm down to my hands, and but this it's part of my job. So you you climb trees, and when you're over forty, you pay for it. Mm -hmm. Other than that, we watched uh, Yes Man. <laughs> and, and Mandalorian. We, and the Mandalorian. Hello, yeah, we watched that too. Fan. Yeah, I don't want to give anything away. No, so. no. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it was the last mm -hmm. episode of Mandalorian. Yes yeah. Man was funny. Yes Man was funny, but we went on like a rant about a Terrence stamp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we, we, we were like, is he Spanish? Is he, is he English? So you know? figure it all out. Yeah, he's got this really d deep voice and we cool. were talking about there's only a uh, or he's got he's got one of those he's voices voice that are original you, yeah like yeah. you just you know when you hear his voice you know it's terrence stamp yeah he's like a, a standout voice yeah so he he did i remember him as a bad guy in 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 alien nation but he he also did uh a voices for a cartoon i can't remember that no i'm sorry for he's halo seen, 3 yeah. Yeah. And, and he Halo said he three. did uh, also. He was in, was he in a Star Wars? Cartoon? Yeah. He was. Um, he was the Rebels? the head head uh, uh, chancellor of the Republic. Ooh. In on the Phantom Menace. <clears throat> in the Phantom Menace. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The political mm. advisor. The, the political Star Wars show. Oh. <laughs> the Phantom yeah. Menace. Yeah. Right. But. Yeah, so we went on a little thing. So we just we found out he's English, and he hung around in London. He he housed himself with Michael Akane, who is also uh, a British actor. He's a British actor. And yeah. Everybody knows Michael Caine. Yeah, and huh. and so I, he's I, in one of my favorite movies. Yeah. I probably have to watch with you. I don't know if I should say it. That's <laughs> <It's> right. <laughs> it's Pretty, um, is it a risque? Know, is it risque? <laughs> but uh, another yeah. thing that I found really neat is he survived a, a, a thing in World War II called the Blitz. And I don't want to say who was bombing, you know, the British Empire, but there was another country bombing the British Empire, and he survived it. 
And then Brian Singer, I think it was Brian Singer. If I'm wrong about this, I'm wrong. Um, he helped this uh, director do a reenactment of the Blitz. And um, so, and then he and this director ended up getting Academy Award nomination over it. So that was pretty neat that he got to, I mean, it's not pretty neat that he got, he, he had to survive something like that. Um, cause I think it was like a one year bombing. Hmm. Um, uh, so, but it's just, I, I found that interesting about him. So a uh, Terrence stamp, everybody, if you have a little bit of time to look at his work and I saw some uh, pictures of him when he was younger and that man was handsome. He was, he was very dapper. Terrence stamp. Yeah. Hmm. He, he, he had like the, the whole, um, Scotland Yard sort of well, let vibe. me see if I approve <laughs> <laughs> yeah look him up uh, Terrence Stamp Terrence Stamp and he he uh he, he he did he looked really really nice he looked like um I don't know what like Just a like, like a, uh Sean Connery but yeah, with Sean darker Connery, hair Robert Redford type yeah not not Robert Redford type he's more skinnier than him but not that that one right there see that one right there that one I don't know why I like and look at that. Look at that. He is handsome. Look at that. He he modeled his acting off of one. Yeah, he models acting off. He looks on, more Spanish yeah. there for some reason. And then who's that? Who's that guy or or, or lady with him? I don't know. It's a movie mm. that I don't recognize. The Guardian? Mm. No. Oh, no. I think that's the name of the Yeah. He has and he has that voice. So we are comparing him to the same guy who well, like a uh, gene hackman you know a uh, gene hackman has that specific voice that when you hear him talk you know it's him he used to do the home depot uh, commercials and then um the guy who voices a uh, darth uh, vader i i'm gonna get a lot of people upset with me but i don't remember his name right now and and then a uh, terrence stamp you know they all have these individual voices that are pretty awesome so apparently you don't ap uh, approve of how I feel about. Him. <laughs> uh, I thought you have different good. tastes, apparently. <laughs> a, a different uh, taste in James Earl men. Jones. James Earl Jones. Vader. There we go. All right. Thank you so much. The original Darth Vader. He, I think he's voiced all of them. He's voiced all of them. Yeah, I but think. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, originalism. Mm. He was the first Darth Vader. Yeah. Before how about you, Christian Hayden's. How about you? Oh yeah. How about me? What? How about you? As far as <laughs> how about you? As as far as your week, anything interesting you'd like to point out, or not really? Not, not been really? interesting. Okay, no. all right. Sorry, guys. Sorry, no. <laughs> I went for a beautiful hike this week. I do that often before I go to work and mm -hmm. just kind of helps unwind, unwind. Yeah. before I have to be to work for several hours. Um, mm. I need that mental energy to yeah. move out yeah it's hard dealing with well it's I hard dealing so with much. a lot of people yeah. yeah and i have so much that i i talk all day and i'm moving all day mm -hmm. so it's a lot of energy that comes out that i expend yeah and so i need a lot of um like a mental like a something like a like a I don't know what you would call it. Like I need like a platform to go mm. off of for the day. Mm. I need to be, my mind needs to be refreshed. Mm. So no, it's good. Yeah. Well, I, I, I worked with at my least mom you know that. two yeah. days this week. So that's mm. always fun. I always enjoy working with mm -hmm. her. We, 
it's a, it's a nice release for me to do something different. And, but at the same time, my mom is very much into my career of wine. And so she's, she's a businesswoman. She's very, she's got the smarts for a lots of things. And we talk a lot and she's, she helps me with ideas. And then she's, she's just very encouraging. So I have a good time talking with her and hanging out with her. So yeah, it's mm. pretty much my week. Nothing, nothing new. Nothing new? No, okay. Not at the moment. All right. Well, um, so this week we venture into uh, the nation of Spain. And we we tried a cava uh, from a company. I'm sorry, uh, do you want to add to that? No. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, a cava. And it's uh, a Barasca a cava a brute. It's only showing from 2017 i think onward so it hasn't been around for that long we the were the company barasca i mean the the actual wine barasca yeah it's from 2017 yeah well it i mean the the cava a brute that we had mm-hmm. it, there's only uh, only a tasting notes i think for 2017 through 2018 it's a fairly new company is what yeah. you're saying and um so we're we're trying to find out more about a barasca it was really hard to find information on it and then we came across a company called Wine Forces. I, I'm going to have uh, Jasmine talk about that a little bit. But Wine Forces is owned by two people. I think it's pronounced uh, Gert Jan Van Arkel. And he owns another company. I I, I can't remember the name of it. It's like a Terret something. Uh, John Olivier. And Gert Jan Van Arkel worked for a company called Shamar or Shamare, C-H-A-M-A-R-E. And they were the first multi-regional wine from France. You Usually a lot of these companies stay within one region and they focus on that region. He worked for them uh, from, it was the late uh, 210s or, or, or 2000 to 2010. It was like 2007 through 2009 or 2006 through 2009. He worked for them. And I think that's where he got this idea of creating this company called Wine Forces. He Is finds... that the company that you're talking about? Ter- Terlato? No. Oh, um, okay. No. No, it's... Um, yeah. Just wondering, because that's a Pinot Grigio that most people recognize <clears throat> from Italy. No, it's, 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 it's very similar to uh, Wine Forces. Mm-hmm. Turlato Wines International. No, that's uh-uh. not the one. Oh, okay. No. All right, just wondering. No. It's Anthony Turlato that yeah. owns that. Mm-hmm. No. Okay, never mind. So they, so what they do is they source wines from vineyards and yeah, from all over the world. And the best and growers. Then, yeah, and the best uh, growers. And their their main goal is to take your brand and grow it and make you succeed. Yeah. By finding those highly refined sources of grapes out there. Yeah, it's kind of like I don't want to say Amazon because you you look <laughs> for things in Amazon. Amazon. Well, but they you know they f- they find these hard to find things sometimes, and then they they put them together for you, and then they and you pay for it, and then they ship it. You yeah. know, so but they have all these. It, it, it is owned by um, a France uh, or a French uh, company, <clears throat> but which is. You said workforce. Uh, wine. wine. It's called Wine, wine Forces. Yeah, Wine Forces. Wine Forces. And they, they own a multiple amount of labels, and Jasmine will be talking about 
that in a little bit. One of the notes I saw in there from one of their interviews was that there's another one here in the United States, and they kind of modeled theirs after this, um, but they're not a production driven, so they they don't they don't want to do high production. They're more worried about quality. I'm just saying that since they're from France, they are driven more uh, by a passion a for standard. sourcing the best wine mm -hmm. from around the world. So. You know, that's kind of like their motto. Mm -hmm. But when we tell you the price point and everything... We'll go over it, it, why it, yeah. or the prices that they're yeah. priced at. So, But uh, do you want to go a little bit more over, over wine forces? You want to talk yeah, about I'll just bring out the little point. You can continue because you have most of the notes on that. Um, so they've been around since 2009. Yeah. And the brands that they've created um, and are helping grow are Barasca, for one, is what we're uh, sharing with you today. Cinta, uh, Covali, uh, and then there's a French one. I'm not sure how to pronunciate that. Yeah, Les Alis. Les Alis, and then um, Gavida, and then Reef Ridge, Seaside Cellars, Seastone. Mm -hmm. which is uh, grapes grown from Portugal. I have uh, had the opportunity to taste Seastone wines as well. They're very good. There's rosés, uh, Chardonnay. There's Spanish Albarinos. So they have some from different uh, uh, places in Europe, mm -hmm. different uh, growers that they get from around the world of Europe, or I should say around Europe. Um, they also own sweet, or they brand Sweet Simplicity, to Tella, Vinta, um, Palisega, and Cinta. And apparently in 2019, there were 6 million bottles of wine that they um, labeled and got uh, out there. So that's yeah. quite a bit. Yeah, it is quite a bit. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and again, they find the best sources. You said one of them that you you carry in the place where you work is Seastone. That's from New Zealand. Portugal. Oh, really? Portugal. Reef Ridge also is another wine that I know. It's, I, I failed to mention that's from Marlborough, New Zealand. And I'm very, they make a Sauvignon Blanc. They brand mm -hmm. a Sauvignon Blanc. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, it's actually a Sauvignon Blanc, Fumé Blanc. So much like the Sauvignon Blancs that are traditionally made from the Sancerre Loire region of France. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so what we're what we're talking about today is the cava from created by wine. Well, created by somebody, and then it was sourced by wine forces. I don't know who the owner actually is of Barasca, but um, wine forces is the one who owns the label, and um, they're the one who shipped it out, and they're the one who who got it out to the stores, and they got the wine, they put it together. You know all that stuff for them, so yeah. it, it's so they're pretty, the branding yeah. company mm -hmm. behind Barasca. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Mm -hmm. So um, the what we're talking about today is is a cava, and a cava, which was once known as a Spanish champagne, because of the way it's created. Uh, in fact, the cava production has helped create more efficiently the champagne lines by creating specific machines that helps uh, certain stages of the winemaking uh, process. process. Mm -hmm. Cava's can only be called the cava if it's made in the traditional method. 
Um, like champagne. Like or of, sh- of champagne. Yeah, like champagne. Mm-hmm. I did read that champagne sometimes is made by a different process in a smaller and a larger bottle. So it's made in a at a different process, and I can't remember the process name. It, it's a different name. <laughs> I just can't remember. If it's in a 750 milliliter, it has to be created in the traditional method. And the traditional method is uh, it's something that was created off of the ancestral method. The ancestral method has one or two steps that traditional doesn't have, and traditional has one or two steps that the ancestral doesn't have um, when it comes to the winemaking. I don't know why I wrote down 1986, Spanish wine. Oh, whoa. Oh, oh. Sorry, but that uh, that'll be different. So you remembered what that was. Yeah, okay. I do. So a uh, cava, at one time, was uh, advertised as a Spanish champagne, and then in 1972, cava there was a cava and champagne debate. Uh, the a transfer method. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So anything larger than a 750 or smaller than a 750 is usually made with a, a transfer method. And I didn't look up that method, but it, it is a different it is a different method. So if you want a good champagne, I guess they say stick with a 750. Yeah, yeah. because you're not getting the original Chapinois method. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So so yeah, in 1972, because of this debate between cava and in champagne, because it was dubbed as a Spanish champagne, there was a, a debate which which caused to create the Regulatory Council of Sparkling Wines in 1972. This went on for like 14 years until 1986, where Spanish champagne can no longer be called Spanish champagne. It can only be called a sparkling wine. That's from 1986. Yeah, from Mm -hmm. 1986. But when it's called a cava, cava can only be created in a traditional method and usually comes from the the region of champagne no the in, oh, in spanish in uh, catalonia, catalonia yeah. yeah thank yeah. you very much because i can't never Sorry, remember that name really. it's right <laughs> remember everything darn it remember all the important things i'll just spout no, off my a bunch of crap France, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah catalonia spain is where yeah. they make the traditional catalonia. method of, of france and and what I like about this area of France Shipping is that out. it's yeah it's surrounded by ocean you know out of the north and 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 to the east, which which why it stays nice and cool when it should be a little bit hotter than what it is, but because of the ocean, uh, a, a temperate it 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 allows that. So yeah, you're talking about Catalonia. Yeah. The, and, yeah and the reason why the Chapinois method is so successful in that Catalonia area of Spain. And why they make that method there is because it it parallels the same type of climate as Champagne France. Yeah. Champagne France is cooler mm-hmm. in climate traditionally, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, okay. like what, why that how that affects the grapes and how they yeah. grow. So I don't know if you guys want to go through this. You might want to fast forward, but I'm going to go through the traditional and ancestral methods of winemaking really quick. And when it comes to specific types of ways this is made i'm probably going to refer over to jasmine she can explain specific things to you the traditional method starts as the same with the ancestral method starts with the production of the base and then it moves on to which is your original fermentation 
the squashing of the grapes and maceration. Yeah, and the maceration. And then there's the tirage, which comes next, which is part of the tr traditional method, but ancestral method does not use a tirage. And what is tirage? Tirage <laughs> is it's called liquid liquor de tirage. It's a solution of wine and sugar and yeast that's added to a bottle of still based wine. And so it, this is the second step in the alcoholic fermentation process. Mm -hmm. And it refers to the drawing off of the blended wines into the bottles for second fermentation. Mm. And yeah. this is called a pre de mousse, which is captures the froth basically at the, the top. Mm -hmm. And this stage starts the bubble factor, mm -hmm. which is a result of the carbon dioxide that's given off in the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the ancestral method actually skips this, but the traditional method uses this. Then there's bottling, the first bottling, um, which I think they said that they use like a longer neck bottle mm -hmm. for this uh, process. Mm -hmm. Then there's the bottling. That's the end of the preliminary stage of a traditional and ancestral. Then the secondary stage is in the bottle, they do a thing called a riddling. And, and, and both of them do this as a riddling. And I think you said that's a quarter turn or like a half turn every couple hours. Yeah, riddling is where they go in and they have a set time. They go in and they turn the bottles uh, a certain, they turn them uh, clockwise. And then they have to go in later in a certain time period and they turn it the other way. If you look up the first mentions of riddling, mm -hmm. they had um, an actual person designated the Riddler, they mm -hmm. called him. The Riddler. And, and so that's where that term comes from, the Riddler, and that was in Champagne, France. And mm. uh, I think he was a monk, from what I remember. Now they have machines that can do that. Mm. So yeah. they have and machines that riddle the bottles. So the, the, the people who do this uh, method, this kava method, are the people who designed the machine to do that. So they actually helped improve the efficiency of, of winemaking. Yeah, they, they advanced the technology. Yeah, yeah, they advanced mm -hmm. technology. They so, added to... I mean, I love champagne. Sparkling wine uh, Don't production. get me wrong. Yeah, but they, they, they definitely helped with that. And now mm -hmm. champagne makers use the same machine. And it's a long name, the machine. I don't remember the name of the machine. I'm sorry, Is I should have written French? it down. Yes, it is in French. Well, then it would be hard to pronounce it. Yeah. And then they go to another stage in the second, the process. second stage, yeah, the second, second process. It's process. called a, a disgorging. I don't know what disgorging is. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> Remember now. Oh my gosh, you're putting me on the spot. I'm trying to go over my part of this podcast. <laughs> I'll cut it out. Uh, no, uh, it's okay. Just I might. I should be. Uh, yeah, I thought you were done. You said you were done. I, I am, but I, I, my brain is always going. <laughs> disgorging. It's <Yeah>. very discouraging. <laughs> Just disgorging. It's the part where they remove the sediment from the wine. Is, is this the lease? The surly. Yeah, yeah, the disgorging. Okay. Yeah, after the rotation. Um, mm. The wine is removed from the bottle. The The wine is aged in the bottle, sorry, mm -hmm. um, before it is disgorged. Mm -hmm. That's the disgorging process. Okay. Yeah. And then so after that, uh, the ancestral method does a filtering. The traditional uh, method skips this. 
Mm. It, it doesn't filter after the disgorging. And then there's a dosage, which is the adding of sugar at the end to smooth out. Is that right? Do you want me to go over that? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the dosage is the step. It's after the tirage. And they add back the missing sugar, like you just mentioned. And it's a specific wine term to the production of champagne and sparkling wine. So it refers to the amount of sugar, adding it back to the sparkling wine just before corking, corking the bottle. Mm-hmm. Or to this, so that they can, so the sweetness, sweetness level can be determined for the final product of the wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and then after that, after the, the dosage, it's a, a corking and labeling mm-hmm. after that. And then there's sending it out. Yeah. I just thought, and then there, there's like six methods. Um, but these are the two that are most widely known is a, a traditional ancestral uh, methods. And then there was that one you showed me earlier that I already forgot the name of. Now, you said originally <clears throat> the ancestral mes- um, method was mm-hmm. used in Spain. That was the, yeah, that was created in, in 1581. 18, oh, 1581. Yeah, 1581. And then the other one was, um, uh, in fact, you have that information. I gave you that, yeah, you have that information. So I don't have the information on when a was actually first started. I know it was during some thing in Paris. It was 1868. 1868. Yeah, and it yeah. had to do with the Universal <clears throat> de Paris mm-hmm. uh, Expo. Yeah. And it had to do with Francesco Gil and Domingo uh, Sobrano, and they were the two first producers of Spanish wine, is what yeah. you brought out. Yeah, there was, there was a gentleman before this, but they didn't have a date, but he did like a reverse engineer on it mm-hmm. and trying to figure out the sham, you know, the champagne uh, process. But as far as um, when Cava was a, a caption, that was the first year that it was, uh, was 1868. So those are my notes I have on that. And sorry if I bored anybody with the uh, methods. And... No, you didn't bore. It's educational. Mm-hmm. That's is what it? this is about. Okay. All right. Well, enjoy. It's about learning and having fun. I I enjoy this stuff. I know some people find it boring, but I just think it's. I, well, people I, that I are going to be it... listening are going to be interested <laughs> okay. in it. Okay, so I just find I just find it very interesting. It is. It's like, and how did they come up with this? It's like, how many? It's like I remember one time I was talking a to a guy about and a olives. Inventive. Like, if you don't make the olives right, it's poisonous. Well, yeah. And uh, I'm, it's like, it's like if you don't get the look, apparently when they make the black olive is mm-hmm. what I t- was told by a friend. I don't know how he knew. His name was Giovanni, but he told me that when they make the black olives, they actually soak them in this like a rat poison material or yeah. sorry, liquid um, formula that if we were to ingest it would be poisonous to yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, it'd be poisonous yeah. to us. And that's what gives it the black it's like, color. Because it's not supposed out? to be black. <laughs> yeah. A Kalamata olive is naturally like a like a, a earthy white. Oh, yeah. Well after they soak it in brine and stuff, uh-huh. it's like a earthy like a very light taupey purple. Uh-huh. Okay. And that's not that's a darker olive, but it's yeah. still not black. Yeah. That's correct. And he said the color they get on a black olive is not normal. Uh-uh. And I was like, oh, I'm going to stop eating these olives. I didn't really want to eat them after that. <laughs> so I started eating green olives. They should look, they should look good on yeah. on pizza, though. Yeah. You know, well, my favorite olive. is green olives. But, okay. But, right. yeah. Olive. Mm-hmm. Olive oil. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> 
Oh, Popeye. So, um, um, yeah. That's, those are my notes I have on Kava and everything. I'm going to let Jasmine explain to you all the really cool stuff. Well, so. you explain cool stuff, too. Okay. Um, I'm just going to go into talking about the Barasca a little bit. This is one of the Kavas that I probably learned about, I think, two years ago or maybe a year and a half ago. And Barasca literally means gust of wind, which is a Spanish term. And it alludes to the climate that surrounds the area in which these vineyards are used or they grow. And so um, kava traditionally is described as the iconic uh, tradition of making sparkling wine in Spain. So just little details. We talked about how it started in 1868 from the Universal de Paris. There are a couple of interesting things about the grape varietals. There are principal grapes that are used in cava. So there's an upward of 95% of cava that is produced in Catalonia, which is the northeastern part of Spain. And the most common grapes are three. And the first one is called Macabeo. The second one is Parilada. And the third one is Zarello. However, some, some cavas may also include Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Garnacha and Monastral. 35% of most plantings within the DO or the which would, the DO is the uh, origin of denomination of controlled origin for the Spanish cava uh, is in which these uh, grapes grow of Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Garnacha and Monastral. Typical notes of a cava are quins. You can get notes of apple and uh, pear which are otherwise known as tree fruits, basically uh, the grapes that you normally find, again, are called... <laughs> Sorry, Brian's distracting me. <laughs> You're very sneaky. Irish whiskey. Yes. Yeah, okay, so um, the traditional grapes, again, are Macabeo, Parelada, and Zarello, but it there when you come across, there are cavas that you can come across that are vintage cavas, and these are aged mostly in the varietals of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. And another factor of kava is, again, we, we touched over this pretty strongly, is that kava is made in the same method traditionally as champagne, but with different grapes. If you compare Prosecco and kava, kava is obviously closer to the taste of champagne, where Prosecco if you're describing it to someone, Prosecco is more fruit forward. It's more sweeter where Cava is not. Cava is most traditionally made in brute style. Brute style being drier of taste. Mm -hmm. And again, the area in which the Chaponois method method is allowed in, in Spain, in Spain is from Catalonia. So that is the only area. I was going to also bring out that the main cavas that are produced are from Penedas region of Catalonia. So it's again, it's the northeastern uh, part of Spain and it's just west of Barcelona. What's fun to do is to actually look up a map of where these regions are located so you can get a visual idea of where these grapes are grown. You can zoom in on the area, the climate, what kind of landscape you see. 
Is it by a body of water? All those different aspects that lead to the different personality traits of these specific regions. The top-notch kava is widely available for under $20. This kava that we drank was $10. So crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. It's crazy good. It is. It's so good. And often, like I just mentioned, under 15 So based on this is what kava is all about. Kava is about bringing you this high-quality champagne-like sparkling. The method is to bring you that it's all about the families and what the they they have to offer in this this traditional method or this this uh, kava that most people probably when they drink it they're gonna think it, they're drinking a champagne so when you go to most restaurants or maybe a get-togethers or they're gonna be serving you commonly or traditionally I should say kava or prosecco mm-hmm. And you're, and most people refer to it as champagne, like because they think, oh, bubbles, it's champagne. Mm-hmm. So you're learning today what a couple of the differences are between a sparkling and a, and a champagne. Well, and I want to say too that you know this wine should not be nine dollars or ten dollars. No. But the reason why we brought up that wine, uh, wine horses. That is the only reason why this is so inexpensive is because everything was outsourced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a it's not a chateau growing their own vineyards. Yeah, having astringencies that they have to pay and deal with with yeah. whatever laws. The and, overhead is oh, much less. Yeah, and they yeah. have someone branding this mm-hmm. and sourcing out grapes. Yeah. So. Yeah, so this should have been like a sixteen to twenty dollar wine, but mm-hmm. uh, it tastes much better than a nine dollar wine or or a ten dollar sparkling. Yeah, and price again, it's all relative, and we we enjoy. I think our standard bottles we like are between thirty, 30 and forty dollars. Yeah, thirty to forty dollars. But it's so amazing when you find a ten dollar bottle. It's hard to do, but I found through my tastings and experience in wine that. Most bottles that are at those price points only come from Europe or the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. I find some phenomenal bottles, and you've had them with me. Yeah. It's hard to find, for for our tasting and our liking, it's hard to find a good $10 out of New World for, for us. I'm not saying that there is not, but mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to, to step on anyone's toes, but... From what I, from my personal tastings and what I've studied, what I know, the qualities and 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 the different um, factors of what I know as an educator, I I know by taste what I'm what I what the where the quality is. Well, and and the 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 specific type of customers that you deal with, they're... if you take them to a ten dollar wine, oh, no. they're gonna walk away from you. I have. <laughs> I have a person, like I have customers in my own portfolio. I have these customers that will not buy anything that's not out of the wine lockbox. So Mm -hmm. I have to know what, you know, like when we talk, I talk about first growth, second growth, a third growth out of Bordeaux. It doesn't matter if I'm dealing with the left bank or a, um, you know, red or a Sauterne. They, um, even, even if it's a, a wine that's well known out of Napa, they want to buy a wine that's no less than $150 mm-hmm. per bottle. Yeah. 
and they're searching for those unique tastes. They want something special. Mm-hmm. They don't want just your everyday average wine. So when we can come across a, a wine that is a, a still wine or a sparkling wine, that's amazing for the price. You know, it, it's just pretty, pretty spectacular. I, I thought it was awesome yeah. for $10. So you, you talked about um, the the taste of apple or, or the smell of apple. Sorry. Yeah. The, the tasty notes on this cava were like quins and tree fruits, like apple mm-hmm. and pear. I, I, I wrote down a little note because we were talking about, we had opened this yesterday and then we, um, champagne stopped it with a stopper. And the first day you said you noticed more expressive apple notes on the aromatic and the taste. That's correct. The second, well, there wasn't a long finish though. It was just crisp, clean and kind of cut at the Mm -hmm. end. When we had the rest of it this afternoon, you were saying that the second day express more of a pear. So when you think about an apple to a pear, an apple is more fresh and clean. Mm -hmm. And a pear is more, you think of more of an aged taste of fruit, a little bit more sweeter. Mm -hmm. So you're tasting that. And you said the finish was like longer and Mm -hmm. had a longer finish that stayed with you about 10 minutes. Well, and it tasted more like a, an, a finish of an apple that you had eight, 10 minutes ago and it left a lingering taste of apple in your mouth. Yeah. So it's like if you eat an apple and then, uh, ten minutes later, you have that that uh, taste of what's left of the uh, pith in your mouth because mm-hmm. usually there's a little bit of of that in your mouth still. And um, I was saying that that's what it tasted like the mm-hmm. aftertaste about you know about a minute after you you drank the kava, mm-hmm. you got that, but only after again a bottle you know we 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 put that special cork on there mm-hmm. that in. Um, yeah, the first day it was more clean. I said yeah. it was clean on the palate, more mineral, mm-hmm. like a like a clean, um, like a almost like a lemon, a lemon note. I want to say like a fresh cut lemon, but maybe yeah. a lemon oil of mm-hmm. the skin of the yeah. lemon. Um, it wasn't so dense though on the first day. It was a little bit denser the second day. So it'd be more like if you bit into the rind. Yeah. And not into the exact fruit of the lemon. Yeah, yeah, that's what you're tasting. Yeah, yeah. And traditionally, kava has more citrus notes than a brute sparkling, but also more savory mineral flavors and less fruitiness. And then there's a, the factor of sparkling wines. They're labeled with wine terms brute, extra brute, sec, which is actually dry when they have less residual sugar, and labeled du, which is sweet when they have more sugar. And in, in French, sec actually means dry. The little word means dry. Mm-hmm. But it, but it in the sh- when you're actually tasting it in the method, sec is actually more sweeter in taste. So champagne um, compared to a cava, I was saying earlier, the reason why the cava is so successful in Catalonia, you were talking about the body of water, the coast. Yes. In Champagne, in France, it has traditionally a more cooler climate, and the grapes struggle to ripen, and it creates a higher acidity into the grape. And the acidity is more pronounced after the second fermentation, which creates the bubble factor. And this is where dosage was deemed necessary to balance the heightened acidity in the wines and render them drinkable. So that's where the cava took that. Um, and deemed it that this is what needs to be in order for the wine to be balanced. Hmm. And that's why Kava 
has those notes of like apples and pear and, and fruits, mm -hmm. but they're still, they're balanced where they don't taste so sweet. Yeah. But it, it, if it wasn't for the dosage being added in, it would taste acidic mm -hmm. or it would taste drier. It wouldn't be, um, it wouldn't hit those notes on your palate that bring in a little bit of the mouthwatering factor. Mm. Another interesting point that we talked about going back a little bit was in 1887, in the history of kava, the phylloxera was um, basically a bug or an insect that destroyed the grapevines. Mm -hmm. And this arrived in Penedes, uh, destroying most of the cultivated grapes there. And you had brought out that the results were that they restored their original grapes and they introduced new varietals, especially white varietals. Yeah, most of them white. Yeah. And the end result was that this helped kava develop into its unique personality and taste. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So something negative, but then it turned into something positive, yeah. which is much like things in life, how they happen. Different levels of dosage usually level out in... Uh, the level of brute, so not like we just talked about, not so sweet. There's different, um, there's different amounts, or, or I should say, there's different uh, levels of dosage. So we have extra brute, brute, extra sac, sac and demi sec and dew. And extra sac is when there's less than six grams of residual sugar. These wines are often called Brut Zero or Cero, Brut Cero, which is um, can also be uh, uh, translated as Cero Dosage, which often means no sugar added at all. And in Brut, you have 6 to 15 grams of residual sugar, which is the most common sweetness or, or category of uh, style of sparkling or champagne. Is that per bottle? Yes, it's yeah. per bottle. Okay. And it's dried to taste. These are all grams per bottle. Yeah, a grams is not very much. Mm -mm. A, a gram is very, very small. Mm -hmm. Extra sec is 12 to 20 grams of residual mm -hmm. sugar, which is a fairly off-dry style. Most people recognize this taste with the famous Mo Moet, which is a very particular popular extra dry style uh, champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, in the United States, which is no longer made. So oh, okay. it's not made anymore, which mm. there was a lot of people that are very bummed about this. Oh, really? Yeah, they're disappointed. Sack is made with 17 to 35 grams of sugar, which is a small category of medium sweet wines. Despite the French word, like I had said, sack, which means actually dry, it mm. actually... The taste is opposite. It's very sweet. Or it's not very sweet, but it's sweet. Mm -hmm. Demi-sec is 35 to 50 grams of residual sugar. It's getting high. It's getting high. Mm -hmm. Quite a sweet style and a very small category. Dua is 50 grams of sugar. It could be 50 plus. Mm. So that's very sweet. It's like almost like a soda yeah. at that point. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So those are the different uh, levels from Brut. Mm-hmm to well these are the different levels of sugar within mm. from none to the highest amount yeah. in mm. the champagne and sparkling world hmm. and then we talked about the transfer method which you brought up later on uh, which is a technique for making wine in the smaller bottles in the smaller or yeah. the larger than the 750s yeah. yeah so 
the 1.5 or 375. Yeah. And this is when they take the second fermentation in the bottle and a short period of this surly aging before the riddling. This is before the riddling stage. The wine is transferred to a pressurized tank. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't happen with the traditional method. Nothing's ever done in a tank in no. the Chef on Wine Method. Mm-hmm. It's all done in the bottle. Yeah. So this is where the difference comes in in the transfer method mm-hmm. with the smaller or the larger bottles. Yeah. So that's that's only, yeah, that's... That's a 375 milliliter <clears throat> or the 1.5 liter, mm-hmm. which are the larger bottles. Yeah, I, I found that. It has <clears throat> to do with the pressure. Mm-hmm. The I actually watched this in Napa. Mm-hmm. I was at uh, one of the... Schramsberg in Napa one year, and I was at Shandon in Napa Valley, and I watched this method done. Okay. They have, and it's, it all has to do with the pressure, the amount of force. Mm-hmm. It can't be done in the bottle. It has to be transferred because of the size. When this, the smaller size cannot absorb the impact of the pressure, mm-hmm. it will shatter the bottle. Oh, really? And with the larger it has to do with the integrity of the larger size. Mm-hmm. There's different weak points. Yeah, but couldn't you make them like in a, a larger bottle than pour it in the smaller bottles? No, because they would. It, it has to do with more costing material. I mean, they, oh. they're just trying to make the method in a more clear and precise way. Mm-hmm. It has to do with how much they're expending also. Yeah, but you figured that would change the a taste of the champagne if you got... If you had three bottles, all made from the same winemaker, and it all says a specific type of champagne, mm-hmm. but the smaller and the large one is going to taste different than the one in the well, regular Well, we're going to have an episode on that because okay. there's a champagne that's one of my favorites. Your mm-hmm. mom just came in this week, and she bought one of my favorite champagnes. It was called mm-hmm. Zarine, uh-huh. and it was the first champagne to be accepted by the royal house of Tsar, mm-hmm. and um, it is from... Uh, the area of Togni de Rims, and it is by rare Chef de Cave lady winemaker by the name of Isabel Tellier, Tellier. And she's one of my favorite Chef de Caves. And she produces Zarine. Okay. And it comes in a 375, mm-hmm. a 750, and a, a 1.5 liter. So, uh-huh. Well, it actually comes in a three liter too. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's the mother. <laughs> <laughs> the mama. <laughs> so I, I'm gonna get those three, and then we're gonna do a, we're gonna test this out and see okay. what the taste is like. That'll right. be a fun uh, episode. Episode to yeah, this one. Yeah, that'd be pretty yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. So Zarine, yeah. wait for that one. Zarine, yeah. But yeah, I really it's enjoyed this uh, cava though. This again, it's, it's around a ten dollars. And it tastes like a champagne. A champagne, it does. It, Most um, people wouldn't know, yeah. but it is in the same method. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. So I I don't know. And, and and you know what else I like about it? I took a picture of it, and and when you turn your flash on because of the way that the the labels beautiful. the labels made the label it comes back all glittery. <laughs> yeah, the label is capturing to the eye. Most people look at the label and they're like, "Oh, I want to buy this one. It's well, so pretty." Yeah, and you told me that a majority of the female customers who come in and shop with you that they rely on the labels. Their significant others, you know, males will be saying, "Oh, yeah." Sh- you know, they'll say something about, it and she's well. I always shop by the label. You know, and they're like, "What?" <laughs> yeah. And I looked at them like, "This yeah. is true. This That's is the way it goes. this is the way they shop by yeah. labels." Yeah. So 
This is what the the people that are in the marketing of this company know that people look with their eyes. Well, they know what they're doing. You eat with your eyes first. You buy with your eyes first. It's the same thing. It's true. Well, uh, that's our episode on the Baraska Cava Brut sparkling wine. Or no, I'm sorry. It's a cava. From it's a sparkling from Spain. I, I know, but they've wine. earned the right of, yes. of cava, mm-hmm. which was once at one time called Spanish champagne or Spanish champagne, but we can't Until call it that anymore. So yeah. don't call it Spanish champagne anymore, guys, because yeah. you can't call it Spanish champagne anymore because in 1986 they said no more. Serve it to your friends and Spanish your guests champagne. and your family. And I'm saying as many times as I can. Despite our time period we're going through. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and no one will know because it, yeah. it's made in the same method. Yeah. So you have your champagne-like <clears throat> wine. Spanish champagne. Yes, yeah, Spanish champagne. Right. <laughs> we're going to sneak that in. Uh, let's see, one more time. Spanish champagne. <laughs> <laughs> It's a sparkling wine from Spain. It's made in the Chaponois method. Let's just say that, okay? There's an episode of Frasier you guys have to watch where Niles is dealing with his ex and he's helping her out in some deal with her Spanish lover or whatever. And he ends up being on the news and becoming famous. And that all had to do with a bow and arrow that he lent his ex. Oh, yeah. They ended up hiding out of Frasier's apartment. That's funny. And he didn't become famous until then. Until he got sued. Yes, until he got sued. <laughs> or he got investigated yeah. or whatever, yeah. Same principle. Yeah. All right. Other shows we watch. <laughs> yes, right. we like sharing them with you, besides wine. <laughs> oh, this is uh, another episode of Wine from On the Vine to the Road Tasted. We did a Baraska Cava Brut. It was really yummy. We Please suggest go out it. and try it. Go out and try it. And... Have fun on the weekend. Have it for an aperitif. Have it for brunch. Have it for lunch. Have it for dinner, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's great for all occasions. Well, what do you? Oh, oh we paired this with, with we a made soup, right? we made a homemade rustic chicken and potato rainbow medley carrot soup mm-hmm. with yeah, some herbs good. from De Provence. Yeah, but you, it it is good as an aperitif though. Yeah, it really. Is. It cleanses yeah. the palate. It's very nice mm-hmm. first day. It's like again mineral tone. So yeah, mm-hmm. you can apply it in all those different taste points. All right. This is the last time. <laughs> Wine from on the vine to the road tasted. Thank you, guys. Uh, bye-bye. Have a good rest of your weekend. Bye. Bye. <laughs>